This is Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling. This week, I talk with Alex Thuma, the founder of SaaStock. We talk about a myriad of topics around trying to bootstrap an event and how hard that is, the pros and cons of large events versus small startup events. And at the end, we share a couple memorable mishaps or war stories from years of running events. I've actually wanted to attend a SaaStock for the past few years, and there always seems to be a scheduling issue on my end that has kept me from attending just to check it out. You know, a, a big event with a lot of people, multiple stages, to see and experience what I've heard a lot of folks talk about. So hopefully this episode of the show brings you some insight, some inspiration, and maybe a little motivation to check out SaaS Talk in the future. Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know about our MicroConf Mastermind program. If you listen to this show, you know that I've talked a lot on this podcast about how important masterminds have been to my own success. But finding the right founders for your mastermind group can be very hard. Over the past few years, my team at MicroConf has successfully matched more than 1,000 founders into mastermind groups by looking at revenue, team size, strengths, goals, and several other data points to make sure your peer group is the right fit. Once you're matched, you'll also have access to our mentorship series, a three-month program where you can connect with some great minds in sales, business development, marketing, and more. If you're looking for accountability, honest feedback about your business, and the opportunity to make new friends that care about your company and your success, you can learn more at microconf.com slash masterminds. Alex, thanks so much for joining me and Startups for the Rest of Us. I am very excited to be here, Rob. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a long time coming. And you know, as folks heard in your intro, you're the founder of SaaStock, which I think is interesting overlap with MicroConf. Or not even overlap, but just we've traveled such a similar path in building our events. And this podcast sprang out of a blog that became a, shouldn't we all get together in a room? And so we started a microgolf in 2011 in Las Vegas, and it, it seems like, from what I know about your story, perhaps you have you have similar early stages. And for folks listening, like we're going to talk about SaaS stock. Really, I like inside baseball. Like you're an entrepreneur and a founder, and that's what this show's about: is being an entrepreneur and founder. So we're going to hear stories about things you've learned, missteps, even just. Thinking about bootstrapping a SaaS, we talk a lot about how the hell do you bootstrap a conference? It's just so so few of us do it, right? So with all that said, I'd love to hear like the early stages, like how did you bootstrap a first event and get people to come? Because when you don't have a brand name, no one will give you the time of day. People are not buying airline tickets and they're not booking hotels. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good question. Yeah, I think we've we've traveled an almost identical path in building MicroConf and uh, and, and SaaS stock, right? So. Uh, you're right. It came from a blog. I, I started a blog called Sascribe in uh, 2015. Uh, the idea there was to create a community-driven blog for uh, SaaS founders that are growing their businesses, SaaS companies that are growing their businesses. I thought I identified a gap in the market there, and to get some, you know, experts and influencers to create some content. As I, I'd never run a SaaS business myself, so you know, I'm not the authority to tell people like how to do it. So instead, I, I sort of recruited people to write content for us with, without charge. Uh, I mean, as in, I, I didn't pay them, you know, kind of anything. They did it for the good of SaaS and get it, get their name out of there. And they they bought into the why. So we had the blog, and like three months later, it kind of like took off for a little bit. Like it, it, it resonated. I was getting a lot of emails from people saying, 
I like what you're doing. I'm rooting for you, you know, this sort of thing. Three months later, I started the podcast, The SaaS Revolution Show, which is, you know, happening still uh, eight years later. Um, and then a few months later, then I started doing local meetups. And it was then when I was having the face-to-face -face conversations that people were saying, hey, look, we'd like a bigger thing, right? We've got 120 people here today uh, in one of the meetups, which was great. And people travel from all over the UK. It's like, we'd like a big thing in Europe. And like, you know, you seem to be the person that uh, is probably primed to do it. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm like looking for a way to kind of get into this full time because I was really enjoying it. I was like, I had a side hustle. Well, that was the side hustle. I had a full time job. And but this was the thing I was trying to explore as to could this help me become the entrepreneur that I finally wanted to become, you, you know, after many years of uh, issuing many ideas. And so that groundwork, uh, I think, you know, to your question about like, how do you bootstrap it, right? And get the credibility and authority. It was from doing the blog posts uh, uh, or running the blog, getting on people's radar, you, you know, interviewing founders on the podcast and, and VCs that uh, enabled me to have a little bit of authority and credibility to the point where I think it was in like November, maybe a little bit before in 2015, where I met with, uh, I think it was Nick from Chartmogul, uh, like at the time. And, you, you know, their business uh, subscription metrics platform for SaaS businesses. Uh, and I had a conversation with him at another conference, I believe it was Web, Web Summit, and said, look, I'm going to, like, people want me to build this SaaS conference in Europe. Like, I'm thinking about doing it. And he said to me, look, if you do it, we will sponsor. You, you know, I didn't forget that. Um, and then uh, I kind of went forward, you, you know, with the, with the project. I uh, was starting to build the website. I found the venue. I found the date. As soon as I kind of had that, I went back to Nick and said, you said you were going to be my you know, sponsor this. I've got a date venue. It's happening in the RDS in Dublin. Uh, and he came back and said, yeah, you know, we'll do that. And you know, he put his money where his mouth was and became our first sponsor. Maybe like one month later, I closed a deal with Patrick Campbell, who was the main sort of competitor, ProfitWell, of Chartmogul. And effectively from there, we were you know, customer-funded bootstrapped uh, uh, from that that point on and when we started selling tickets in january so we kind of waited over the christmas period the audience was the people that had come to the meetups that was subscribing to the newsletter that reading the blog that was listening to the podcast and so there was an active audience there of people that had wanted you know and asked for this conference I think like the first day, like we sold like 37 tickets and I saw this spike of revenue and I was like, great, you, you know, people actually do want this thing, right? So that enabled me, you, you know, to have the runway really to kind of, uh, I guess, kind of build this for the, the next kind of nine months uh, and pay myself and then eventually start to bring some other people on, on, onto the team. But there certainly were a couple of months where we kind of, you know, it was very close coming to the end of the month where I was running out of money and I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to pay myself next month. And then suddenly you get a deal in at the, at the end of the month and like, phew, stress over, you know, I can feed the family. Right. Well, it seems like you were ahead of, of us when we started because I didn't realize that most events, all events need sponsors in order to make them happen. I was under the impression that, oh, they, you know, when people charge $1,000 for a ticket or $500 for a ticket, they sell those tickets and that pays for the event. But no, they're all subsidized by sponsors. And without sponsor subsidy, you have to charge way more. The events are just much more expensive. And so we figured that out the first year. And then the second year realized, oh, we're going to sell sponsors. But you were 
ahead of that game. It sounds like the sponsor, you know, was the the first thing. I wonder if that comes from being because your your background is in sales, right? Like enterprise sales. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. That was like uh, when I left sales or selling other people's software, I was like, oh, you know, so glad to see the back of sales, right? You, you know, I'm done. Eleven years of sales, I'm done. But obviously, the first thing they had to do as a as an entrepreneur was was sales and generate revenue, right? So. Uh, so I, I wasn't quite done, but it was quite different when it, you're, you're selling your own product and it's something that you kind of passionately believe in. And also you kind of had to make it work, right? Because I left my job to go all in on this. Uh, Gemma, my partner, was six months pregnant or something like that. We had no income in the in, in the household, right? So I kind of had to make it work. So there's nothing like something like that to kind of you know give you that drive, you know, in a deadline of knowing when you're going to run out of money. So I got into it and, and just kind of, I guess, through the conversations. And I can't really remember, Rob, whether it was like a real deliberate strategy, but to go after the sponsors first. But it's just so it kind of happened that, you know, I had that conversation with Nick, which then gave me, you know, I think it was like 12,000 euros or whatever, right, to, to then, you know, plot on for, for, the, for the next few months. And then kind of, again, started to get that in. And, and I think we ended up, or, or I ended up doing about 35 sponsorship deals for the first year. Uh, and it was about 50-50 revenue on sponsorship and tickets for, for the first year. That's incredible. Wow. And, you know, there's this old saying, like, start an event, they said. It'll be fun, they said. After we ran the first microconf, closing party night, I was telling everyone, never doing this again. Yeah. This is it for us. Like, it, you know, it, for us, it was a side project. We bootstrapped it. We made money on it, made like thousands of dollars, you know, that first year. But it was definitely not something that I wanted to do again because of how stressful and how much work it was. And I was like, I cannot justify this, you know? So then people were like, no, you have to do it again. This was the best event I've been to, right? It like really resonated with the folks. I mean, our first event was 105 people. It was a very small event. So I'm curious to hear your experience of, for you, after running that first event, were you like wide-eyed, like, oh my gosh, this was so much more complicated and difficult than I thought it would be? Or did you go in eyes wide open in the sense of, yeah, it's going to be tough. And when you came out the other end, you're like, well, we broke even or made some money. That's a big win. And we're going to do it again next year. Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, it, it sort of makes me smile because certainly the first event, like I was walking around super tired. I didn't sleep the night before. I think I actually probably had a panic attack the the night before, and in largely, uh, I, I think it was because we we did lose you know a good amount of money. You know, it was it was about sixty thousand uh, pounds, something like that. And I was like, okay, well, how we've lost all the money? I'm aware I've lost the money. How am I going to pay that back, right? Uh, and uh, so I didn't sleep very well at all. And then I kind of went to the event, and then I was uh, the event was running, you, you know. So the event was running uh, kind of uh, without me. After I'd done the opening remarks, you got the production company that's running the event. Um, everything seems to be working fine. I'm walking around speaking to people, and everybody's like, "Alex, you look terrible. You look terrible." Like, are you not having a good time? You look terrible. Uh, with, without them knowing, the reason that I looked terrible was because like, I, you, you know, I hadn't slept the night before because I lost this money. So, but when the event was done, you know, everybody like I remember having a pint of Guinness outside the RDS and speaking to people and just trying to come to the terms with, okay, I've lost money, but we need to kind of figure this out. Uh, and everybody was like, "This is amazing." You, you know, what's what's the plan next year? Double in size, do this, etc., and so on. Uh, and I was like, well, look, I, I know one thing for sure is like, I'm not taking a holiday tomorrow. I need to go back to the sponsors and start selling them on next year again. And, and that's pretty much kind of what I did. So over the next 30 days, like I rebooked about a hundred thousand pounds worth of repeat revenue from the sponsors. 
and then that kind of gave me, you know, a little bit of, uh, you, you know, more sort of peace of mind around, okay, how I can pay back some of the loss, you know, from this uh, uh, cash in the bank uh, as, as such, and then just kind of repeat. And, and that's what we did. We basically, you know, I kind of put the finger in the air and said, let's double in size next year. And we kind of, we almost uh, doubled in size, you, you know, kind of like year on year. Uh, and again, it was just another t- 12 months of, uh, you know, hard work. And, and actually, 12 months on one event, you don't need to do that, right? I mean, we're kind of now more on a six-month cycle per event. Um, but, you you know, I used to spend 12 months, you know, but like five tweets a day, then doing, the, you know, you're kind of doing like everything, recruiting the speakers, doing the sales. That's that's what you had to do for the first event. Now I've got a team of people doing that. So you don't need to kind of work six months uh, uh, on it. Are you tired of searching endlessly for highly skilled software developers? Cloud Devs is your solution. Gain access to over 8,000 pre-vetted senior devs distributed across their Latin America and global talent pools. All of their remote developers work within your time zone and can get onboarded within 24 hours. The Cloud Devs team can help you recruit full-time or part-time hires as well as project-based freelancers. And every hire comes with a week-long free trial, making sure you get the right person for the job. All of our listeners get a 15% discount on their first month of collaboration. Hire trusted tech talent efficiently without breaking the bank by visiting clouddevs.com. So I want to ask you a bit about your thoughts on pros and cons of event size or event type. And the the couching of this question is most people listening to this podcast are familiar with MicroConf, our flagship event in the U.S., like it's in Atlanta here in April. It was in Denver last April. And then we have a a flagship Europe event that's in Lisbon, actually, in a couple days as, as we're recording this. We are single track. We are 150 in Europe, and may, we used to we peaked at 300 in the U.S. and then COVID, and so now we're at about 2250. I think Denver was, and hopefully Atlanta will be that as well. And you know, we have five or six speakers, and we have a lot of activities and networking and this and that. Two two and a half day event, and there are there are certain pros and cons of that, of that format, right? The pros, it's super intimate. There's a lot of other stuff versus a SaaS talk, which I think you were saying, you know, it's several thousand attendees. It's multiple stages. There's a bootstrapper stage. There's a venture, you know, stage, a growth stage, you know, whatever, you know, all these uh, different tracks. In your mind, like what are the pros and cons of, of that model, you know, of these contrasting these two models? Because I don't believe either one is better than the other, but I do wonder as someone who runs a big event and has now for many years, how do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I guess like from the very first SaaS doc, I, I did think about like, how do we grow this? Like I wanted to have a growth business and, and you know, not just have the conference that, um, and there's nothing wrong with this, but you, you know, that was kind of the same size doing the same revenue kind of e- each year. I wanted to, you, you know, sort of think big, but also I think during every single event and, I, and certainly in the early years, I walk around and people are saying, this is the perfect size at 700, don't grow it any bigger. At 1500, they said, this is the perfect size, don't grow it any bigger. You, you know, and um, I think they've stopped. We get that they, too. Yeah, they've, they've stopped. We get that at 150. Yeah, yeah they, they've stopped <laughs> saying that. Well, 150 apparently is the perfect size where people, like everybody can connect with each other, right? It's like Dunbar's and, number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. you certainly sort of lose that at SASDOC. But by design, I've always thought, okay, as we scale the event, 
how do we keep the people happy that perhaps like smaller events, right? And, and what do we do there? So there's a lot of curation and actually SASDOC, if you deconstructed it, could be uh, many mini events and kind of, you know, one big event put together. So uh, on the first day, we do this thing called SAS City, which is uh, like a one day accelerator for your SAS, right? Uh, I think this year it's about 10 different workshops with probably, you know, 50 to 60 people kind of per workshop. Then we do like pub crawls and then there's an opening party with about, you know, a couple of hundred people, right? So with the workshop sort of size, you, you know, the, there's nothing really kind of daunting about sitting with 50 of your peers, you, you know, in a, in a day-long kind of workshop that's being led by, you, you know, some of the best experts, in, uh, you know, in the industry. Then at the main event itself, that's when it kind of, you know, gets a little bit of more of the scale. But then we look to have like all these different stages in terms of content for everybody. So we like you said, the, the bootstrapper stage, you, you know, that's a stage for about 150 people. Uh, and again, for an audience of bootstrappers and, and generally those that are doing anything from zero to 100 million. But uh, I would say the majority of our speakers will be, be under 10 million in, in revenue and be sharing stories of how they got to 10 million. We've got a few like um, Gregory, I can't remember his surname, the CEO of Muckrack, they've got to 50 million, you know, kind of ARR. Great to kind of be able to kind of share those uh, kinds of stories as well. We have an accelerate stage again for those that are kind of really just, you know, uh, at that kind of really early uh, sort of traction stage. We've got the expo, which is, you know, obviously a big part of it and, and the showcase. And, and then like what happens, there's a bit of an ecosystem that's grown around Sastock now. So last year, uh, as far as I knew, there was about 20 different side events that are happening around Sastock in, in, in various parts of Dublin. And that includes actually, and I don't know necessarily how I feel about it, but I think more positive is that people are running their own events like while well, Sastock is on to capitalize on the fact that we've got the audience there. And, and we're not getting any financial benefit from that. But actually having more side events, I think, and a bigger growing ecosystem, I think really does add, add value and gravitas to, to the event. So there's a con there that we lose a bit of sponsorship revenue potentially, and that they're taking the audience out of our venue. But the pro is, I think, you, you know, the, the more side events, so I, I, I believe it kind of helps with the gravitas of, of the event. But pros and cons in terms of size, well, like, uh, yeah, I, th I think the, certainly a con, if we start with that, you, you know, for some people it can be overwhelming, right? And if you, if you may be more of an introvert or not a natural kind of networker, yeah, like it, it, perhaps it, it can be a little bit overwhelming when you come in and there's a buzz, there's the, the noise, there's, you know, thousands of people. It's like, where do you start, right? And maybe you start with just, you know, watching a bit of content. But uh, we do try to, you know, facilitate all these connections, you know, through our, our like smaller events and, and through the networking app and, and so on, so you can meet the, the right tribe. We also do lots of dinners, smaller dinners, you know, whether you're like CMO, CFO, CEO sort of dinners, et cetera, to put people together uh, as well to kind of help with that. I think some of like the, the pros, if you're used to kind of like a smaller event and, you know, kind of single track, obviously there there is much, much more, I think, you know, available if you're looking like at a, at a menu, a la carte menu, you can kind of pick and choose kind of what you want and where to go and what talks to see. And, and even if, if you're a bootstrapper, you know, watch a few talks on the bootstrapping stage, but, you know, pique your curiosity to look at some of the venture back companies that have, you know, made it to a hundred million and, you know, sort of consider, like I've, I've, I've had a number of conversations with those that are really anti VC over the years would never take VC money and bootstrap to 30 million in revenue and then finally took VC money. And I don't know whether they're happy or not about that, right? But they did some secondaries and stuff like that. But, you know, people do change. And I think, you know, SASOC gives you that, that optionality, right, to think about that and say, like, well, maybe bootstrapping is 
right for me now. Maybe we can change, you know, in the future, and I can speak to VCs, get feedback on the product, uh, 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 and so on. So there's a few things there, but I think there's a lot. Of, like the main kind of pro is a lot of optionality, and you can just do the small stuff if you just want to do the small stuff. And, and, and but I would always say, like, spend some time before you go to the event and and be prepared. I think if it, with a 150 person event, you could probably just rock up and ideally almost speak to everybody there and not do too much kind of prep and. With an event like Sastock, like try and you know figure out who you want to meet, what talks you want to see, you know carve out your own agenda, and, and that that's the benefit of you know having all these options that you can create your own agenda, uh, and not just the one that we put on. And as as someone like yourself who is programming these events, I know you have a team doing that. And when I say program, I mean you pick the speakers and you help them figure out what to talk about. And so y- you are in essence a tastemaker, like just like being you have a podcast, you have a blog, like you can set the agenda of what a lot of founders hear, just like this podcast does and MicroConf does. And I'm always pretty deliberate about what do I think people need to learn this year? You know, And sometimes there's fortuitous like, oh, I recently heard about this amazing speaker and kind of whatever they speak about is going to be great. But oftentimes it's like, I think this is a pertinent thing that founders aren't thinking enough about, right? So maybe you know, maybe five years ago or three years ago, it would have been like, people should know enough about Web3. <laughs> they don't want to be sick of it, but like, I think SaaS founders should know enough. So there should be a talk about that. For example, MicroConf didn't do that, but uh, AI may be a thing, you know, a topic of today or whatever. I'm curious how you think about that. Like, what do SaaS founders need to know? How do you know what they should maybe be learning at this event? Yeah, yeah, good, good question, right? So, uh, yes, we do have a team that uh, that does that. Uh, I still advise, and I still like use my position to, you know, email and book speakers and do introductions and so on. But effectively, in terms of our process, right? So, let's say after one conference finishes, part of the process is that we we get on customer calls and you know get feedback and what did they like, what what didn't they like, right? And then there will be a, a sort of research process in terms of you know what are the 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 current topics uh, you, you know for you know for the year and for the agenda uh, ahead we will like uh, put a steering committee together of you know a mixture of like VCs bootstrap founders you, you know some operators and the uh, the person who runs our content program in David uh, you know we'll speak to these folks on a regular basis and say like who should be speaking you, you know who are you following what topics should we uh, should we be covering what are you seeing out there in the market and gathering this data uh, and then sort of compiling this data uh, to then, you know, give us a list of kind of options of like these are the topics, these are the themes. We also survey our attendees, you know, post customer sort of research calls to ask them what are their biggest problems that they're facing, right? And if we see a commonality in trends, then we say, okay, well, look, if you're saying your biggest problem is fundraising, if we put on a, a, a lot of content on fundraising and solving this problem, hopefully there's a real compelling reason for you to come to the event, right? Because we're we're actually talking about problems that you have and and how to solve them as well, right? So I, I think it, it's these things. And then you mentioned like AI, for instance. So definitely we, we've we got actually, one of the topics is AI. We've got workshops on, on generative AI. I think it, it, it just makes sense, right? It, it, it's certainly one of the buzzy uh, things this year, super topical. We have been to conferences this year, which are like similar to ours, where AI wasn't mentioned at all, right? It's just the typical, here's how we got to 200 million stuff, right? Which was still good content. But actually, you're not talking about what's happening, you know, today and in the future, and what people need to be kind of considering. So we do need to do that. We haven't always done that. Process hasn't always been there. But now that that's a little bit of the insight of to, to kind of what it looks like, and just to ensure 
that you know we're not missing any elephants in the room there and just kind of covering the things that that people want to hear about last question as we wrap up i have some more stories for microconfs uh, i'm not going to mention names but we have had a bottle of hot sauce thrown at a speaker while they were on stage we have had a sprinkler go off in the middle, the lights heated up. It went off in the middle of the event. People running out. It was, you know, I have T-shirts made with these things on them. If you know, you know. There are others. We had an, uh, an MC fall off the back of the stage while she was MCing. We have a great audio of that. Some of these are, I mean, all these are like crazy scary when they happen. But then, like they they make the stories, right? Just like growing a SaaS company, you get these stories of the crazy customer, the time Russian hackers invaded your this and that. I'm curious, as we wrap, if you have you know one or two of those. Again, no need to mention names, but just some crazy stories because it's inevitable. I think as you run events like this, that that those happen. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would say, like no major disasters that that I'm aware of. But like uh, I, so one from last year was interesting. I don't know if it's a crazy story, but uh, uh, our friend uh, Patrick Campbell he did a talk where all he said was the word churn for 20 minutes. Um, yeah, and uh, it really divided. There were mixed reviews, really weren't there? Divided yeah, because it was like an art yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so the slides were really good, but people were just kind of like, yeah, is he really doing this? And it, it, the room was packed, right? But uh, shall we say, I think, I think the majority didn't really like it too much. Uh, and we're, we're, we're not sort of repeating that, um, but, it, but it was bold. <laughs> we also knew it, we kind of knew yeah. it was going to happen, and we are like, we're not sure if you should do that, but we but we we kind of went with it anyway. So I think that that that's kind of one that that was uh, that was pretty interesting and bold by Patrick. Uh, and that's not the reason he's not coming back this year, but he's obviously sold his business to to paddle. And uh, I, I think he's busy. Pretty doing that busy, stuff. yeah. Um, but another quick story. I think this was probably like 2019. 2019 and 2018, but we do like speaker dinners, right? And uh, I have to do two of them. I do one on Monday, one uh, for the speakers on Tuesday, and one on Tuesday for the speakers on Wednesday. So it's quite a lot of food and, and often a little bit of alcohol sort of consumed, although I've been a bit better at that, uh, certainly like last year. After one of the, the yeah, the, the speaker dinner perhaps on the, the Tuesday night kind of went on until midnight, and then a good group of us then went on somewhere else. Uh, and then before I knew it, it was probably about 3.30 a.m., and I found myself with a bunch of speakers who were speaking the next day, like doing shots in a local kind of nightclub, oh, um, you know, not feeling great when we were doing the shots. And then we probably rolled in about 4 a.m. I had to be on stage at, at like 8.30 with one guy that was with me. I could barely open my mouth. It was so dry. And he was fine. He was Finnish. He was just like, it didn't, didn't affect him whatsoever. Um, and then one of the other speakers that was with us, he then had to speak that morning. I saw him after his talk and he said he vomited at the side of the stage. And then one of the other guys that was with us turned sober after that uh, experience. That so <laughs> it was some night. Wow. And then I, I did think I did think to myself, is it responsible for me as the conference organizer to be out yeah. drinking with the speakers at you, you know that time in the morning? So I haven't repeated it, uh, shall we say? Yeah, it's an interesting thing because the first I'll admit the first few years of microconf, I would often stay up till four a.m., five a.m. with people because it's so fun and you're hanging out. And then it would take its toll. I never did it with speakers. I would have always been like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you you do learn you learn these lessons in retrospect. It's like obviously you don't want to do that, but but you're in the moment and you're hanging out and you're friends and you're just like, oh, we'll just have one drink, right? So I can imagine uh, that, that makes a pretty incredible story. Didn't happen last year. Yeah. 
They didn't repeat it for sure. Alex Thuma, thank you so much for uh, coming on Startups for the rest of us. Um, SASDoc.com if folks want to see what you're building and uh, dig in further. And SASDoc on Twitter or X, that's your your account. Any other places folks should head to? We're on LinkedIn. I would say we're pretty active on LinkedIn and, you know, a little bit on X uh, now. I've got to get used to saying that. Um, but yeah, come to sasdoc.com. Uh, the next conference, 16th to the 18th of October in Dublin. If you uh, haven't been yet, you've got to come once uh, in your life. Sounds great. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks again to Alex for coming on the show. And thank you for joining me again this week. I'll be back next week answering some listener questions, still trying to get caught up on that front. Talking about things like bringing on a partner, attending trade shows, offering pre-launch discounts, and other questions sent in by folks just like you. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 682.